like teachers are allowed to go out of state. Really? Some of them. Like mine hasn't said anything. Wow. Who would want to go on a cruise <laughs> right now? It's really cheap. I mean, yeah, yeah, there's certain things that I don't care if they give me a free ticket. Um, it's just not where you want to be. And maybe the highlight of the week is watching the TV <laughs> tragedy. The toilet paper everywhere is gone. Uh, shortage. Uh, we are experiencing a strange thing, to say the least. Uh, and it's not just Saline County. This is a strange global thing. Like very few times can you look and say this is a global situation. Like most people in the world are following this narrative right now. Um, and that's a really humbling reality. Let me tell you what I'm not going to attempt to do this morning. I'm not going to attempt to discern the wisdom of any of these decisions. Right? I'm not the judge of these decisions, and I'm not going to attempt to fill that role this morning. I'm not going to evaluate, was it wise, was it smart, was it necessary? Just not going to do that this morning. And it's second thing, I am not going to judge the seriousness of this situation concerning the virus, and is it really worth all this enthusiasm? So those are the two things I'm not going to do this morning. I'm not going to put myself in that position, uh, and I'm not going to put you in that position. It is my hope that this morning we consider the power of panic and how we should think about this situation and others of this nature from a faith-based perspective. Okay? To evaluate and consider the power of panic, and then how do we navigate situations like this from a faith-based perspective based perspective. Um, no matter the nature of these drastic measures right here, we can agree on the reality that this is a global situation that has stirred our entire globe into panic. The entire globe has been stirred into panic. So let me ask you this, what does fear or panic assume? In order to be stirred into a frenzy of panic, what are we assuming? What is the underlying belief that allows us to panic? Things aren't under control. Yeah. Panic assumes a lack of control. Danger. Panic assumes that there is imminent danger. Else. I got one more. Can you read my mind? Those are the two that I had. I had three, and those are two of my three, so we're... Worst case. Dang, dude, did you read my notes? That's legit. That's what I had. Worst case. Uh, so since you guys nailed my three on your first three, we're going to stop right there. I believe the Holy Spirit just did something really cool. Right? So panic assumes that we are out of control, there's a lack of control, there's an imminent danger, and that danger is going to be worst case scenario. Right? That's what panic believes. That's what stirs a sense of panic. Um, and I really <clears throat> sat down on Friday and I'm like, what are we, 
What do we do with this as a church? What do we do with this? How do we help each other navigate this from a faith-based perspective? There's a lot of different directions that we could have gone, but here's what I eventually landed on. In the Old Testament, the nation of Israel was promised a portion of land by God. God said, this portion of land I am going to give to you. It is going to be your land. Uh, And the promise had gone unfulfilled as... Uh, the nation of Israel was held up over here in Egypt. And they were held up in Egypt, first of all, because of, um, if you read the Old Testament narrative, you see uh, Joseph um, going there in the midst of a famine, but then you see that uh, that Pharaoh was, uh, had passed away, new Pharaohs came in, and now they're no longer favored, but they become slaves. And they become slaves in Egypt for 400 years. They're held up all the while to the east. There's a land that God had promised to them. He said, I'm going to give this land to your ancestors. But over the course of 400 years, they become enslaved uh, to the Egyptian Pharaoh. Okay? Shortly before Joshua was to lead the people. So here we are. There's a river and Joshua is about to take the people in to possess this land for the very first time. Keep in mind, after all these generations had passed, shortly before he leads the people in to take this land, Moses gathers the entire nation of Israel uh, in order to give them instructions and a pep talk, if you will. It's Because Moses is not going over with them. Moses is going to die, and Joshua is going to take them in to receive the land that God promised So this is Moses' final speech, it's his final instructions, he's recalling all the things that God has shared with them, and he's giving them this instructions and pep talk. Um, And look at Deuteronomy chapter 20 with me. If you have a Bible, we're going to open up to Deuteronomy 20. We're going to pick up in the middle of Moses' speech to the people. One of the instructions, it's in chapter 20, it's uh, the header says, Rules for War. So, keep in mind that the land that God had promised to the nation of Israel, there were other people that lived there. Right? It's not like it was uninhabited and empty and just theirs for the taking. There were nations that lived there. But God was going to move those nations out so that He could allow the people of Israel to move in. So, And then that wasn't going to happen. They weren't just going to walk out. So there was going to be war in their future. And here's the rules for war. We're going to look at a short section, 1 through 4, and then we're going to read verse 8 here in a minute. But read with me Deuteronomy 20. When you go out to war against your enemies and see horses, chariots, and an army larger than yours, do not be afraid of them. For the Lord your God has brought you out of the land of Egypt, is with you. And you're about to go engage in battle. And the priest is to come forward and address the army. He is to say to them, Listen, Israel, today you are about to engage in battle with your enemies. Do not be cowardly. Do not be afraid, alarmed, or terrified because of them. For the Lord your God is the one who goes with you to fight for you against your enemies in order to give you victory. When you go to war against your enemies and you see all these horses, all these chariots, and all these enemies that are bigger, badder, and tougher than you, and they are more in number, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. 
There's a lot of stuff that we can be afraid of, right? Sometimes it's horses, chariots, and enemies. But there's a lot of things in our world that we can be afraid of, and I think we're faced with one right now. So, what is the fear with this current virus? What is the fear with our situation right now? Death, economic breakdown. Yeah. Death. Economy. What else? Shortages. <clears throat> Toilet paper. <clears throat> Rubber noodles. TP. All this is based upon one reality. How are we going to see? Massive amounts of death. How are we going to see the economy crash? How are we going to see shortages for basic necessities? It's because the virus is contagious. Right? And that's the whole thing. The fear is the contagious nature of the virus that would lead to extreme situations that you're describing. Right? So that is the fear, the contagious nature. So let me ask you this, and I don't mean to be flippant, I don't mean to be... But just think about the process that we've gone through this last week. Did panic stir when we learned that it was contagious? Or did panic stir as other people began to panic? Does anybody know personally somebody by name that has the virus? Like Derek said, there was somebody in his office. You don't know the guy. You've never. You don't. You don't even know if you've met the guy. But this is the closest contact that we have to know. No, he's, he doesn't work. But I'm just thinking about that. Another floor, somewhere else. But I mean, think about that. You're, you're not panicking because everybody you know had three weeks ago. Everybody you knew had the flu. Like you brought your kids in week after week. Like, hey, we're clean. Like that night. No, we're not. Everybody's got the flu. <laughs> then, hey, we're clean. Then we come back next week. Ah, oh, crap. No, we're not. Somebody else has something else. Right? It's not like that. At this point, nobody in here knows anybody by name who knows anybody by name who knows anybody by name who actually has contagious the virus. It's, it's like, that's not how panic stirred. Panic stirred because somebody else panicked. That's what happened. And I'm not belittling the contagious nature of this thing. I'm just saying, look at the process that we've all gone through in the last week. We did not panic because we finally realized it was contagious. We panicked because somebody else panicked. That's what happened. That's exactly what happened. The virus is contagious. Fear is contagious. Fear is contagious. Look at verse 8. When he's giving them rules for war, you're going to go see big old enemies, lots of horses, lots of chariots, and an army that's bigger than yours. But don't be afraid. Don't be afraid, he says. And in the verse 8, he gives them further instruction. The officers will continue to address the army and say, 
Is there any man who is afraid or cowardly? Let him leave and return home so that his brothers do not lose heart as he did. So Moses is telling you're going to go to war against some bad dudes. And there's going to be a lot of reasons to be afraid. But he says, I would actually instruct you to have your officers of your army say, anybody here afraid right now? Hey, I am. You you can go home. You can go home. Because your fear is contagious. And if one man in our army becomes fearful, our entire army will become fearful. That's the way it works. It's as contagious as a virus. Forty years before this moment that we're talking about right here, Israel learned the impact of a viral fear. Moses had sent Joshua and Caleb and ten other men. He had sent them into this land to evaluate it. He said, we're about 40 years before this moment. He said, y'all go in, spy out the land, check it out, tell me what it's like, and tell me what we're up against. Because we're going in to take it. God promised it to us, so we're going to go take it. And so 12 men, including Joshua and Caleb, went in, spied out the land, and they looked it over to give a report about what they saw. And in Numbers chapter 13, we see this report. It's Numbers 13, verse 27. Let me read it to you. It says, They reported to Moses, We went into the land where you sent us, and indeed it is flowing with milk and honey. And here is some of its fruit. However, however, the people who live there are strong. And and the cities are large, and the walls are huge. It's fortified. Jump to verse 30. Then Caleb quieted the people in the presence of Moses and said, let's go now and take possession of the land because we can certainly conquer it. But the men who had gone up with him responded, we can't attack the people because they're stronger than we are. We cannot attack the people because they are stronger than we are. Jump down to verse 1 of chapter 14. Here's the response. The whole community broke into loud cries And people wept that night. You see the process of how viral fear can be. Twelve men went in, assessed it. Ten men came out fearful, said, there's no way. That's some big dudes. And there's a lot of them. And their walls are tall. There's no way. Joshua and Caleb, shut up. We're going. We're going to take it. God said so. He's with us. We're going to go. And they're like, no, those, those dudes are too big. And, and the fear of those ten men became viral in the whole city to where that night the whole city weeped and wailed in fear. And it took 40 years for that, city, for that nation to recover. It took 40 years. Actually, that whole generation had to die off before the next generation was given another chance to act boldly upon the promises of God. This appears to be common in human nature. It's the same process that we watch unfold in social media this week. Right? We were talking about it before we came in here. What was going on three weeks ago when this was China's problem? It didn't affect us. In fact, what was the social media trend then? It was like, 
memes about people wearing masks and it was laughter and it was like, don't go near the person with the mask and there was joking about it. It was, but the virus was still viral back then. And when you watch it spread through an entire nation of people, but in one week, fear became viral. In one week, it just triggered like that. Fear spread faster. Fear has spread faster than the virus. Do you agree with that? Fear has spread far faster than the virus ever has. The virus is contagious. Fear is contagious. Last thing I want us to know is courage is contagious. Courage is contagious. If you want to flip to Joshua chapter 1, we're going to see how this thing unfolds. Joshua 1 picks up the narrative concerning the land that God had promised to Israel. And in chapter 1 verse 11, Joshua says, Get provisions ready for yourselves, for within three days you'll be crossing the Jordan to go in and take possession of the land the Lord your God is giving you to inherit. Get your bags packed, for within three days we're crossing the river and we're taking the land. Forty years after the previous incident where the whole city broke down in fear. Let me ask this question for us to consider. Where did Joshua find courage among a people of fear? And this is, our, this is my encouragement for you this morning. Where did Joshua find courage among a people of fear? Apparently, 365 times the Bible says something to the nature of fear not. Do not be afraid. Fear not. One for every day of the year. The Bible says that. And almost all of them provide the same rationale. But sometimes we look at that and we, we say, the Bible says, don't be afraid. And then when somebody is afraid, what do we typically do? That's not very helpful. We're like, don't. <laughs> but I am. But don't be. But like I am. But the Bible says don't be. Right? And, and when you stop with a command without a rationalization for what is actually going to take my fear away so that I can be courageous, it just becomes frustrating. And I think that's, think about this as we navigate this as a church and as a people and a city and, and, and as the world. When we want to jump on Facebook or we want to jump on social media or we want to jump on the bandwagon of conversation at the office, it's like, you people are all just stupid for being so afraid. Don't be afraid. I don't, I don't know that that's any more helpful than running around saying that the sky is blue. Right? The world's coming to an end. It's the apocalypse. And then the other guy at work's like, you're all just stupid. Don't be afraid. I think both of those 
are unhelpful. So, where did Joshua find his courage among the people of fear? The same rationalization over and over and over and over and over in the Bible. Joshua 1 9 says it again. Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous? Do not be afraid or discouraged for why? What's the rationalization? What's the rationalization, Joshua 1 9? The Lord your God is with you wherever you go. He's with you wherever you go. The people of God find courage in the presence of God. The people of God find courage in the presence of God, and that's what Joshua had. He had the presence of God. So that it continually said, do not be afraid, do not be discouraged, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Wherever you go, He's with you. And the things that cause panic in the presence of God now find peace. Because, yes, I may have a lack of control in this situation, but I have the presence of God who is in control of all things. Like, the world is His footstool. It is His kingdom. Nothing inside His kingdom happens without Him either allowing it or speaking it to happen. Right? There's nothing going on inside His kingdom that He is not within control of. And if I have the presence of God, I know that we have the control of God. Right? And all the things that stir panic in the presence of God no longer have power over me. Because I have the power of God. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God is with you. And over and over and over and over and over and over in the Bible, it's the same rationalization. Don't be afraid. Why? Because the Lord will never leave you or forsake you. He's with you wherever you go. The people of God find courage in the presence of God. I think the interesting thing, Joshua did not ask him, and, and, and I don't ask you this morning. Here's, here's the ticket. Joshua didn't ask him, say, that's my theology, so you guys just need to accept it. Right? I believe it to be true. Believe it too, and let it change your thinking. That's, that's actually not the route he took. I'm the preacher. You believe it, because I said it's true. The Bible said so. Anybody ever heard that? Well, why is this? Because the Bible said so. Joshua didn't do that to him. He didn't say blindly accept my theology. He said this. In Joshua 3, starting in verse 10, he said, You will know that the living God is among you. So he said, uh-oh. I've told you that He's with you. And in verse 10, here's how you're going to know that He's with you. Here's how he's going to know that he's with you. Look at verse 13. When the feet of the priest who carry the ark of the Lord, the Lord of the whole earth, when their feet come to rest in the Jordan, in the Jordan's water, the water will be cut off. So here we are. The land that God has promised to these people. The Jordan River stands between it. Joshua has the whole nation over here 
He says, don't be afraid because God's with you. But don't just trust my theology. Yeah, he said, the priests are going to go in front of us. And they're carrying the Ark of the Lord. The Ark of the Lord historically has represented the presence of God. How do we know it's more than a box? How do we know that it's more than a thought? He said, when those priests put their feet in the water that is rushing this way at flood stage, when they put their feet in the water, the water will stop. And the whole nation will cross over as, as if it is on dry land. So I'm not just giving you theology. I'm not just giving you an encouraging statement. We're being afraid. There's a lot of things to be afraid of. He said, don't be afraid because God's with us. But that's not just a blind theological statement that I want you to believe. I want you to test it. I want you to test it. Because we're going to put the priest in front, and they're going to put their feet in the water, and the water's going to stop and you guys are going to cross over on dry land. As we choose steps of courage, the presence in the presence of God, we'll find that He makes a way for us to finish our journey. If, do not be afraid, for God is with you. How will you know God's with you? As you begin to take steps of faith that you don't know how you're going to finish that journey, but you're going to step in faith, and then you're going to realize that God makes a way, paves a way for you to finish that journey. If, if, if we sit here and we don't do anything with our faith, and we don't, we don't allow our theology to drive our methods and, and to drive our actions, then, then we'll question whether God's with us or not, and we'll become like the whole nation of Israel, we'll be stirred into a panic. Because there's a lot of things to be afraid of. But if you will take what Joshua said and you'll put it to the test and you say, I'm going to take a step of faith. What is the step of faith that I need to take in my life right now? What is the next step that I don't know how this journey ends? I don't even know how I'm going to pave a way, but I know this is what I'm being led to. I'm going to take that step. And in, in the same thing that Joshua said, you will know that the Lord your God is with you. Because when you take that step, there's going to be an opening and God's going to create a path for you to finish that journey. Because if you step by faith, by courage, because believing the presence of God is with me, I know this is the direction, I know this is the calling, I know this is what I've been asked to do, but I, man, I don't know what it looks like, I'm really kind of afraid of what it's going to turn out to be. But I'm going to take that step, and you'll know that the Lord your God is with you because He paves a way for you to finish that. He paves a way for you to make that completion. He paves the way for you to finish that journey. Right now you don't know what it looks like on the other side. But you know that there's something in your in your heart when you read the scriptures, when you hear it preached, when you hear it taught, when, when we sing these songs about who God is and who Jesus is and, and there's this stirring in your heart and in your mind and, and, and there's something compelling you in a certain direction but then you're like, man, I just like there's there's not really a clear path. There's not really anything distinct that I know how this the Lord your God's with you. Don't be afraid of the journey. Just step. And God's gonna pave a way for you to do the things that you don't understand just yet. Okay? Or we could sit on our stool and we could question everything 
fear and panic everything and never see the presence of God manifested in our life. Have no reason for courage. We will have no reason for courage. Our world is paralyzed by fear right now. Agree? I've never seen anything like it. Our world is paralyzed by fear. Now, I don't minimize the threat, and I don't criticize the decisions. Those, those are not my roles. But where fear is contagious, we have an opportunity to experience courage that is viral. The church is given an opportunity right now. The virus is contagious, fear is contagious, and we've seen those two things. But we have an opportunity to walk by courage based upon the presence of God, and we will have a courage that is viral in the midst of what's going on right now. So I ask this this last question for you. What are the first steps God is urging you to take? What is the steps that God is urging you to take when you hear things proclaimed, when you open up the Bible, when you hear these songs, when like when you wake up in the morning, like, ah, where did this desire come from? Right? And, and you realize that you believe it's God saying, just take these steps, take these steps, take these steps. What are these steps that you think you're being called to take? You don't know how it ends, you don't know how the path leads to get you to the opening, but you're like, I, I just, every time I see this book, it's just like actually scares the crap out of me, but I don't know what to do with it other than take it. What are those steps? Maybe you're being called to, to like proclaim Jesus for the first time in your life. It's like, I've never publicly acknowledged that I believe Jesus is the Son of God. Never publicly acknowledged that I think He died for me. Like, all creation groans under the weight of sin, but Jesus put the weight of sin upon His body, put His body on a cross to deal with it so that I could be free from it. I've never said it out loud that I believe that's true. Is God calling you to take that step? To like publicly say, huh, I trust in Him. I do. I'm going to follow Him with my life. I don't know what that looks like. I don't have a clue. I don't have a clue. But I'm going to take that first step of faith and believe that the presence of God is going to open up a path for me. Maybe you got like big faith life decisions that you're like, you know what, if I make that decision, like I'm compelled to, I know it's stirring in my heart and every time I think about it, I'm like, I need to, but it just freaks me out because I don't know what happens to my life if I do that thing that I know has been stirring on me to do. Like if I make that decision, what's going to happen? If I follow through in obedience, how's, gonna, how's that going to affect my, my job, my reputation, my, my relationships? It could change everything. If I confess that, if I move into that, what are the faith steps that God's asking you to do? We're in a situation as a church right now, like, I'm really bummed that all this is happening in our world right now because I have perceived a momentum and a movement being stirred in our church like I have not seen yet. I'm really excited about it. And then the whole world shuts down for an unlimited amount of time. But we're going to press on. We're going to step. I'm about to take you to a potential next facility. We're going to walk through it together right now. And in the midst of thinking the entire economy is going to shut down, we're going to take the first step into a potential new facility by faith, believing the presence of God's going to meet us there. 
And while everybody else is locking the checkbooks and, and selling the stocks, we're saying, can we take on more believing that God's paving the way? We're not going to shut down. We're going to press on. What's God calling you to? You can sit on your stool and you can panic because you don't know what it looks like, but you can take a step based upon the presence of God. I know He's with me. I just don't know what He's going to do, but I'm going to put my feet in the water. I'm going to put my feet in the water and watch Him pave the way. I almost filled up the baptism this morning just so somebody could put their feet in the water. Because I think we've got a number of people in here. I think the first baptism we do, I think we're going to do half a dozen. Maybe he's called you to that. Maybe he's called you to another cup. Anybody got a thought? Anybody got a question, comment? I talk more today than I usually do. this virus may be very serious. But whatever happens with it, I, I think the threat of panic and fear in our own hearts is more powerful than this virus will ever be. And how are we going to defeat that? Lord your God's with you wherever you go. Wherever you go. So what? Step in the water. Watch him pave the wall. Step into the unknown. Watch him create a path. That way you know that the Lord your God is with you. I'll take my word for it. Move by faith. And you'll know. You'll come back to me and be like, you're right. You're right. He was with me. I didn't know how that was going to turn out. But he made a path. I don't want anybody in here to have blind faith. I want you to have stories. Stories of his power. Stories of his provisions. That's why I'm about to take a field trip. So I'm not going to ask you to do it only by yourself. We're going to do it corporately as a family. We're going to walk by faith. We're going to see the hand of God pave the way in our lives and in our city. Okay? We pray for you. Pray for us. Pray for our city. We'll continue to keep watch on what's going on. We'll communicate through our group me. If you're not on our group me, um, we've got group me cards. You can put your name and your phone number on it, and we'll add you to that. Or I'll just add you when I feel like it, Chad. <laughs> that happens every now and then, too. Um, and we're going to go around the block this morning. So, like one block that way. If you want to drive, you can drive. If you want to walk, you can walk close enough to do either one. And we're on the church meeting downtown, so there's parking everywhere if you want to drive. Uh, everybody else shut down this morning. Okay? And I'm not saying that we won't next week. We'll just see how it goes. I don't want to overreact, but I don't want to be foolish either. Okay? That's why I'm going to continue to talk to people like Mike. I'm glad that people that see inside the hospitals and know what's going on. We're going to trust your guys' discernment in this. Uh, but we're also going to be bold and courageous. As the Lord your God's with you wherever you go.
God, thank you. Just thank you for everything. You're a father.